blessed. Too blessed to be stressed, right? All right, let's open up our Bibles. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be reading out of verses 19 through 22 and a whole bunch of other verses. Because uh, Paul just kind of gives us bullet points here, and uh, we've been through this portion or this uh, teaching before, but we're going to touch on it a little bit more in detail. And there's a lot of information, and if you have a, a pen, you might want to take some notes down. If you have a piece of paper, you might want to pull it out now, because I'm just giving you a heads up. We are going to be going through a few verses, and hopefully you'll catch them up here as well. And if you need um, some, some extra time to write these down, or uh, not really to write them down, if you want to come up to me and I can give you the verses that I'll be using today. Because here Paul is at a point where he's... His final instructions. These are his final instructions. This is what it says right above verse 12 in my Bible in chapter 5. And uh, we thought we were just going to read right through it and jump into 2 Thessalonians. Man, I want to get into the meat of 2 Thessalonians of uh, Jesus Christ's second coming. And uh, I really want to talk about the man of lawlessness. But, you know, there is just a lot of information here in just these three verses. But let's go to verse 12 just to, you know, backtrack a little bit. Uh, even, even a little bit further, uh, once again, Paul is talking to a church, a very young church. This church has been um, uh, grown. Uh, he started it, he left, and he was wondering what took place. He sent somebody to go check it out. And as they sat, uh, they went out there and they, they looked at the church. The church had started to grow and, and it was a model church and Paul was excited. So he wrote them this letter encouraging them. And it's one of the greatest letters uh, to a small church, to a small church like ourselves, that we can be encouraged as well when we hold on to these truths that Paul is sharing with the, the, the disciples there in Thessalonica. They were concerned, of course, about their, their loved ones that had died, and uh, they were wondering about that. And Paul says, you know, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to know that those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they will be caught up in the air. And then us who are left behind, we will be caught up as well. Gonna, their body is going to be transformed, as he says in 1 Corinthians 15. And then he says about the day of the Lord, it hasn't come yet, but it's coming. And I want, want you guys to know this. And so we went over that a little bit. And in verse 12 of chapter 5, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Father in heaven, thank you for this portion of scripture that you give us. And we know, Lord, that we can just conclude right here and that would be enough. But, Lord, there is much that we need to know about how it is that we are to test the spirits, how it is that we are to not despise prophecies, how it is that we quench the spirit. Help us to understand the role and the responsibility and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There has been much debate and much said about his, uh, his role in believers' life. And I pray, Father, that today, through your word, you can show us what it is that we need to understand and know. So, Father, lead us this morning in all things, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Last week, I shared with you guys a little bit about the will of God. And I shared these, these certain things that the Bible teaches about the will of God. First and foremost, God's will is that everyone be saved. That's his will. 
problem is, is that we know that not everyone's going to be saved. So that's his desire. His will is that all should be saved. And those that are going to be saved, we know, are those that have been called, those that have been um, elected, those that have been predestined. God's going to save every one of them. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for them. The second thing God wants us to do to know is his will. His will is that we be sanctified. In other words, that we grow in Jesus Christ. Being sanctified is being set apart. We're set apart to do God's work. Not my work, not the world's work, but the kingdom work. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come and my will be done is how it's generally prayed in this world. I want my kingdom to be built. I want God to bless me. I want God to heal me. I want God to take care of me. God says, no, you are sanctified. You are set apart from this world. Just like I gave the Jewish people these parameters to live inside of, they're going to be circumcised. They're going to eat certain foods. They're going to celebrate certain holidays. They're going to have some ceremonial washing. There's certain parameters that God says, you're set apart. And when people ask you, why do you guys do that? You tell them because the Lord, our God, our God, he saved us. He pulled us out of slavery and he set us up in the mountain, gave us the laws. And we are to follow those laws. And it was, you know, anything about the Old Testament, the Jewish people, unfortunately, they did not follow and obey 100 percent. And so they were um, chastised and taken out of Jerusalem and over and over again until finally God established them back in Jerusalem until 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. But that's when the gospel got out, was able to get out and, and share with others. And, and so as a believer, as a genuine believer, we have certain parameters. We have certain things that God is calling. And this is the sanctification process. In other words, you're being sanctified. You're being built up. You're being made holy. God says, be holy. Not that you can be perfect. Not that you're pure, because we never can be pure or perfect. But sanctification means set apart. Just like our sanctuary is set apart. We have a fellowship hall to fellowship in. We have an amphitheater to play in. We have a sanctuary to worship in. That's why we didn't put chairs in here. We had pews put back, the benches put back in here, because we want this place to be set apart. So we don't use any of the artifacts here for anything else but to worship God. And so God says, I want you to be in that same manner. I want you to be set apart, sanct, uh, sanctified. He also, he also wants us to serve. He wa- that's his will. He wants us to suffer. That's his will. And, and as we went over these points last week, and I'm not going to touch all of them, you know, I, I know and I share this with people, m- most often than not, people come up to me and say, okay, yeah, but, but what is God's will for my life? I just showed you. <laughs> People want to know, okay, how is God going to bless me? What kind of work should I do? Who should I marry? What kind of, you know, what church? They're asking all the the wrong questions. See, what you do is you work within what God's already showed you. And you you follow him. You recognize that you need to be sanctified. You recognize that there's going to be suffering. You recognize that there's a lot of things that that God wants you to do. You, You know these things because that's what the word of God says. And then you move through life. You know, as one theologian from back in the 300s, Augustine of Hippo, he said this, and it might sound a little sacrilegious, but he said this, love God with all your heart and do whatever you want. Now, when I say do whatever you want, most people say, what? I can do whatever I want. Okay, when you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then everything that you're in, that's in your heart, everything that's in your mind, you want to please God. You've heard that verse, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not onto your own understanding. That's exactly what Paul is saying. That's exactly what God is saying. Don't lean on your own desires, on your own heart. Because Jeremiah says that our heart is deceitful and wicked beyond cure. You know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now people read that this way. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What you want. 
Whatever you desire, he's going to give you. But that's not the way it was written. Delight yourself in the Lord and God will give you the desire that you need to have in your heart. When you delight yourself in the Lord, God's desires are placed in your heart so that you will desire what God desires. Not what the world wants you to desire. Not what everything else and everybody else wants you to desire. We pray, my kingdom come, my will be done. Well, we have to be praying, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. Jesus said that his kingdom is not of this world. And we flock to the world for the the riches and the power and the prestige and and all the things and the lure of the world because those are the things that the world has taught us. And, you know, it's unfortunate. There are many other churches that will teach you the same thing. You know, you you just name it and claim it. It's yours. But that's not what God said. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus says, you know, foxes have holes and birds of the air have a nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? Take up your cross daily and follow me. You need to deny yourself. Deny yourself of all those things that you want. You really want to follow me? That's what it's going to take. If you can't do that, don't even bother. Don't even bother. One disciple says, Jesus, I'll follow you. He says, okay, well, you know, foxes and birds, they have nowhere to sleep. He says, okay, well, let me, but first, let me go take care of, bury my father. You know, and that's how many people, you know, I want to put you first, but first, I want to put myself first. There's things I got to do first. Jesus says, no, he's got to be first. Number one, totally, 100% committed. And that is a hard sermon to swallow. Uh, you know, and it's, it's to me as well. And the problem there is that we are commanded to preach that gospel. Unfortunately for a lot of people, you know, they, they don't want to hear that. So they move. So, you know, this, this sounds better. I like this. You know, just, just do what you can. And you're a work in progress. And don't worry about all the judgmental people around you. And, you know, and, and no. Jesus said, this is, this is what it is. This is how you follow me. And that's God's will. And so we have to understand that. And so when we get to this point of what Paul is saying, do not quench the spirit. First and foremost, we see that. Don't quench the spirit, number one. See, that's, that's our responsibility. And, and when we get a little bit into this uh, a little bit further, the, the next part is do not despise the prophecies. And, and a lot of people take, okay, well, the Holy Spirit is causing me to say this and do this. And see, you can't stop me from uh, despising or, st- you know, you cannot despise the words that I'm saying because those are the things that, that's what Paul just said. We, we have to take this and, and understand according to what Scripture says, not what you want it to say. A lot of people take this verse and they run with it. You don't despise what I'm saying. You don't know what God told me. You don't know what he said. You don't know how it was that it was displayed to me, what I dreamed, the vision I saw. You don't know any of that stuff. So don't tell me what, what to say or not to say. God told me to say such and such. People come up to me sometimes and say, well, you know, it's funny because I met with God this morning. He didn't tell me that. You know, if that's what it is, he's telling you, but he's not telling me that. Paul says, number one, do not quench the spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit's responsibility has always been from the very beginning in John chapter 3, uh, verse 6, that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit's responsibility, number one, we understand what His responsibility is, what He's to do in, in a believer's life. The role of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life is, number one, is to regenerate sinners. You cannot be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. I don't care how much you try, it's the Holy Spirit who regenerates you. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand it. I'm I'm one of the the best teachers in the land. I am the teacher of the people. And you're telling me in order to see the kingdom of God, how am I going to be born again? He didn't understand it. 
He said, I, I have to enter into my mother's womb again. I, I can't do that. Jesus says, no, what is born of the flesh is the flesh. and What's born of the spirit is the spirit. As a matter of fact, if you turn back to John chapter, John chapter one with me, this is the book that we're going through in the doctrines of grace. If you'd like to join us in the doctrines of grace, we just now we just we're just now getting started. I kind of just introduced the, the book of John and, and what it is that we're going to be studying. But he told Nicodemus in chapter three, first of all, he says, uh, truly, truly, I say unto you, verse three, one is born again. What well, you can't. You, OK, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And in chapter three, verse five, he's saying again, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. You've got to be born again. And the only way you can do this, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And in chapter 1, in verse 12, John started off by saying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then all the way down in verse 12, he says, but to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Now look at this. He says in verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Man has no will to get born again. You have no, you're not born into it. You were not born out of the, the will of man, nor of the flesh. It's not part of your tradition. It's not part of who you are just because you live in America. Just because your grandma was a Baptist or a Christian, your, your mama was a Christian, doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. People say, why well, go to church? So I'm a Christian. That's kind of like saying, why well, live in a garage? So I must be a Volkswagen. You don't get this by osmosis. It doesn't just come to you because, you know, I'm here and I'm reading. You don't put the, the Bible on your pillow and sleep on it and become a Christian overnight. It is because of the will, uh, not because of the will of man, but it's the will of God. And it's the Spirit's responsibility to regenerate you, to change you. And it's a, it's a, it's a dramatic change in your life. For those of you that have experienced the dramatic change of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden it's like everything just opened up. My eyes were open. Man, I, I was a sinner. I, 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 I thought, man, how in the world is, does God love me? You know, now that I see how wretched and poor and pitiful I was and he wants me, I don't believe it. But you know what? If that's his promise, I'm just going to go by what he says, not what I feel. Because if I go by my feelings, uh, you know, I'm totally lost. And the Holy Spirit regenerates you. He's the one that causes this to happen to you. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role in a believer's life is to regenerate you, is to make you brand new. Regenerate. To, to generate is to, is to be born. It's like Genesis. It's the beginning. It's the new, regenerate is the new beginning. A new genesis in your life and, and all of a sudden things just start to be clear. The Bible is clear. You see from your past and you see what God has been showing you all this time. And all of a sudden it makes sense. Another role of the Holy Spirit, it releases believers from slavery. The slavery of sin, of habitual sin. You know, in the past, for me to sin was just no problem. 
I mean, I had no problem with it. I was very good at it. As a matter of fact, I, I thought I was pretty good. When I first came to our pastor, and I says to him, you know, I, I want my kids to go to church and, and I want you to get them saved. He goes, what about you? I says, you know what? Uh, it's, I, I can't. I, it's not going to happen in my life because, you know, <laughs> you don't know what I've done, places I've been. God doesn't want me. You know, he says, yes, he does. Yes, he does. He can liberate you. He can set you free if, in that amazing grace. And he shared that with me. And at that point forward, my wife, both my wife and I were there in, in front of him. We committed our life to Christ and we haven't gone back. And it released us from that power of sin. It, just, it, it was just an everyday thing. First thing that started to happen, my language changed. You know, I don't know about some of you, but every other word was, uh, you know, a very flowery word. It just was the way I, I understood it. Somebody once told me, you know what, saying cuss words isn't really that intelligent. You know, I can teach a monkey to flip you off. Yeah, it's, it just means that you don't know what to say. That's all. My lifestyle started to change. Of course, I, I got away from the drugs and the alcohol and the people that I used to hang out with. All of a sudden, I was in church on Sundays, and my family would say, hey, what are you doing on Sundays? I'm going to church. Church? You're going to say, yeah, I'm going to church. Okay, well, why don't you come over on Sunday night? Why well, go to church on Sunday night, too? Yeah, on Wednesdays, too. Wednesday, you go to church on Wednesdays as well? Yeah, sometimes on Saturdays. My God, what happened? I don't know, man. I just want to be there. I want to, I want to learn. I want to grab. And I want to see. and I want to taste and see what God's Word has for me. You know, he, he, and, he, and, and he, chased, he takes away that slavery for God. Look at Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law weakened by, by the flesh could not do. Many people before Jesus Christ were trying to live by the law, by the law. And, and it just every year they had to bring a sacrifice. Every time they sinned, they had to bring a sin offering. There was always blood required. And Jesus Christ came and he took care of that once and for all, ripped the curtain in two. And therefore, there's access now because of the perfect blood of Christ, the finished work of Christ. We focus on Jesus Christ, the finished work of Christ, what he's done for us. We, that's what we focus on. We lift him up high. We elevate Jesus Christ. We have a high view of God. We understand that it's Jesus, the, the son of God, Jesus, God, the God man that died for my sins. That's what we understand because... God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's what he did for us. You know, you know another role of the Holy Spirit is he places the believers into the body of Christ. Now, you've heard how people say they got baptized by the Spirit. Well, what the Spirit does, what the Holy Spirit does, He doesn't baptize you. He's already filled you. Excuse me. He's already in you. And now you have to be filled by the Holy Spirit. But what the Holy Spirit does is He baptizes you into the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. We were not baptized by the Holy Spirit. You were baptized into the body of Jesus Christ. And this is a big misunderstanding for a lot of people that say they say they got to get baptized by the Spirit. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to baptize them. And they come to these churches and circles and places to, to get baptized by the Spirit. And you see people flopping around and dancing and hoping and hollering. And there it was. Oh, I missed it. Either you, you have the Holy Spirit or you don't. And when you get baptized by the Spirit, He baptizes you into the body of Christ. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is He resides within the believers. I mentioned this a little while ago. Even if the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because 
because neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Uh, Romans 8, 9. This is the verse I should have read. Uh, I like that verse and I didn't put it up there. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. You cannot pretend to be saved. You cannot come to church enough. You cannot work for it. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by works. You can't do anything for it. And the Holy Spirit's role, when you start to understand what his role is, then you start to realize, okay, so why did Paul say, do not quench the Spirit? Well, I want to touch on that as well, but let me continue on. Not a, the Holy Spirit's role is to fill believers with love. You know, God's love is filled in you through the Holy Spirit. Many people cannot express God's love because they do not have the Holy Spirit within them. They're not genuinely saved. They're not regenerated. They haven't learned. They haven't, but when you have the Spirit, and here's what Paul says in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love. And there are a lot of people that want to generate this love, this kind of love, this, this happy-go-lucky type of thing, and, and they're trying, but, but you know what? It only comes through the Spirit of God. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit is He gives spiritual gifts. The moment you become a believer, the moment that you're saved, the Holy Spirit resides within you. You are the temple of the Holy, Holy Spirit and you receive a spiritual gift. Whether you believe that or not, you have a spiritual gift. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, Paul says to the people in Corinth. And then in verse 12, he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individual as he wills. You know, it's interesting that a lot of people don't want to look at the spiritual gift that they have been given by the Holy Spirit. You, you know, some people like to serve. Some people like to help. Some people like to, to you know, to, to lead. You know, and they have the very profound spiritual gift of discernment, of wisdom. But no, 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 no. Anybody can do that. It's amazing how, how people do this all the time. We look at our spiritual gifts and we think, anybody can do that. It's like they minimize their strengths. And they maximize the things that they don't have, their weaknesses. But I want that. I want to be able to speak in tongues. I want to be able to have the gift of mercy or the gift of healing. I want to be able to have the gift of prophecy, of telling people what's going to happen. And they have it all wrong because that's not the gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. You know, it's, it's amazing how it is that people don't ask for the gift of giving. You know that there's a spiritual gift of giving? Some people can just give their finances and God blesses them and God blesses them so they can give it away and give it away. And they love doing that because they have that gift of being able to give and to help. But no, people want the elaborate gifts and they pray for them. But it's the Holy Spirit who gives you what you have. You have at least one, maybe two dominant gifts in your life. But the Holy Spirit has given you. And the problem is, is that you look at them and say, anybody can do that. Anybody can drive. Anybody can help. Anybody can. No, no, not everybody can. And you have to be careful to realize and recognize what the Holy Spirit has given you. And you've got to use that gift. Remember the gift of the talents. The one he gave three, the one he gave two, the one he gave one. You know, and, and so you have all these talents, five, three, and, you know, and you have all these talents. And to the one that had many, he gave them more. The one that had two, he gave them more. The one that had one, he was afraid. So he hid it. And the master of the house came and took it away from him. And he says, throw him out. 
throw him out, that wicked, lazy servant, and send him to the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Somebody once said, what if, what if you don't have any teeth? Well, teeth will be provided. Just so you can gnash them. And you have a spiritual gift in your life and you need to use it for the glory and for the upbuilding of his kingdom. For the kingdom of God. Not to use it on yourself. You know, he seals us as another gift. I mean, he seals us for eternity. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When God gives a guarantee, what does that mean to you? Can God go back on his guarantees? Can God say, oh, I'm sorry, you know what, I'm going to take that away from you. Okay, here, here you go. You can have, eh, I'm going to take it away from you. No, no, here you go. See, there are people that believe that God gives you this guarantee, and then all of a sudden he takes it away from you. And you know what? No, you're no longer saved because, of, you know, you just ticked me off. So I just don't like some people, and you're one of them. And then, they, okay, I like you now. God is not precocious. God knows your sin. Somebody once said, you know, God had to predestine me from the foundations of the world. He had to, because if he didn't own me now, he wouldn't have picked me. <laughs> no, not now. He had to pick me way before I was even born. And when he selects and elects you and gives you this gift, wakes you up at this moment in time and gives you your spiritual gift and gives you this, he seals you and you're sealed and you got a guarantee upon your life now. And, you know, Paul says, this is the spirit that he's talking about. Don't quench that spirit. Don't quench that spiritual gift. Don't, quench, don't misuse the gift that he's given you. Don't misuse the salvation that he's given you. Don't misuse all these things that we're talking about. He, he has sealed you. And because you're guaranteed, beloved, can you imagine? What would you do if you knew you could not fail? What would you do? God has sealed you. And the worst that anybody can do to you, what's the worst anybody can do to you in this world? What is the worst they can do to you? Take your life. And that's, that's the best thing they can do for you. The, best thing that, the worst thing that they can do for you is the best thing that can happen to you. Because now you're in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying go out and be a martyr or look for death or any of those things. But I'm just trying to share the example. If you're sealed and if you're guaranteed, what are you afraid of? God has given you a gift. And he wants you to use it. Another gift, uh, another role is he sanctifies believers. We talked about this here in just a little bit ago. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now that the Holy Spirit has done only what he can do in your life, now that he's now made you and given you the roles that only he can do, regenerate you and give you eternal life and secure you, then he says in Ephesians 5, 17 and 18, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And here's where we run into some problems. First and foremost, this word in Greek, in the original language, it is be being filled. It is a continuous thing that you are responsible to God to do. The Holy Spirit is responsible for all these things to give you a gift, to get you saved, seal you, things that you cannot do. Now, your responsibility is to be filled. That is a command. That is not even a suggestion. That isn't even only when you go to church. That isn't only when you, when you, get, you, know, when you start speaking in tongues or whatever the case may be. No, this is something that needs to be done on a daily, regular basis. 
Be being filled. And the problem with this is that some people say, well, being filled by the Spirit means I got to talk in tongues. You know, that means being filled by the Spirit means that I got to go jump from pew to pew, hanging on the chandeliers. That's why we took the chandeliers out when we first got here. No, uh, being filled by the Spirit means to be rolling down. No. As a matter of fact, I think many of those people don't understand the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit, what He does is He empowers you. Let's go through this. This is the process of progress of the sanctification of the Spirit. And, and it progresses in your life and He grows as the more that you allow the Holy Spirit to grow in you. And this is why Paul warned not to quench, not to douse, not to extinguish, not, not to, to just turn it off. And there's a way that people can do this, the, the quenching of the Spirit as, as they don't read their Bibles, as they don't go to church and uh, to, to hang around in fellowship with the believers. And they don't use their spiritual gifts. They don't have any confidence in their security as a believer. They, there, there are many ways that, that we quench the Spirit by just being lackadaisical. I'm saved. That's cool. I'm going to heaven. And not putting it into practice. And it's interesting how a lot of people just use this verse to be filled by the Spirit for their own personal gain. But see, let me go through this first. The purpose of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit, uh, one of the purposes is to illuminate the Word of God. In other words, bring the light. There are times that you might be reading the Bible, and there's times that things just all of a sudden appear, and you'll go to some, look what God just revealed to me. Revelation, I've been revealed. No, see, revelation is already here. This is God's revealed word. This is revelation. Now, what happens sometimes as you're reading, as maybe you have today or some other times, all of a sudden, whoa, that makes sense. What the Holy Spirit just did is he illumined or he brought it to light. He brought it to light so that you can see it and understand it and put it deep within your heart to start to apply it. In 1 Corinthians 2.12, Paul says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And all of a sudden, it just makes sense. Why? Because the spirit of God illumined that to you. And then in verse 13, he goes on to say, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You know, and, and a little bit later, actually a little bit before this, he'll say something to the effect of, you know, the man without the Spirit cannot understand the things that come from the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. And people that cannot understand what you're saying about God's Word, maybe you had been at that point at one time. I don't understand what this says. You don't understand, you know, because the Holy Spirit isn't, you don't have the Holy Spirit. The man without the Spirit can't do that. But when you have a spiritual insight and you speak it and share it with somebody else, all of a sudden that person with that spiritual insight, they, oh yeah, yeah, I see it now. The Holy Spirit just illumined that to you. Believers can quench the Spirit, you know, by, by failing to, do, to study the Word. You know, they can, they can quench it by not being humble and applying the Word to their lives. They can, be, uh, they can also hide, they, 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 they can quench the Spirit by not memorizing and not hiding it within their heart. I have hidden your Word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Believers sometimes quench the Spirit by the sin that they do because they don't understand the Word. They, they misinterpret the Word. They don't apply it to their life. You can quench the Spirit by not diligently searching, not looking for. If you abide in me and my words and are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. And there are a lot of Christians, they suppose Christians, Christians, 
not disciples, Christians that are in bondage with depression and anger and resentment and bitterness because they do not know the truth that wants to set them free. You may be a believer, but you're quenching that spirit. You're quenching that spirit. And Paul says, do not quench the spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, what he does is he brings you into this intimate relationship with God. In Romans 8.15, it says here, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Appa, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, here a few, maybe a couple Sundays ago, I might have said, you know, we don't talk to God as, as if he's our daddy which he is, you know, the man upstairs. You know, we, we don't flippantly just say that. We hold a high view of God. But you also have this intimate relationship with God himself. You can come to him in prayer, bow before him, and say, Abba, Abba, is the actual word of Abba, Abba. Daddy, Pops, not Pops, but just Dad. And you bow before him and, and he humbly receives you and you have this intimate relationship. One of the strongest truths that I ever learned when I first became a Christian was this truth. God became my father. I had a poor relationship with my dad. He was an abusive alcoholic. And people would tell me, you know, God loves you just like your, heaven, your earthly father loves you. I said, if that's the case, I don't want anything to do with that guy. No, nothing. You know, and I ran from it for a long time until finally I realized that God's love was more infinite and deeper and more abundant than any love that I can ever receive. And once I sensed God's love, it was easy to love everybody else because God loved me unconditional. And I would come to him and say, why, why do I deserve this kind of love? Why? And God would say, just because I love you. That's it. There is no condition like we have. I love you because or when. And he became my and that's the word that we use. Believers can quench the spirit, that intimate relationship of knowing him, but not being prayerful, not being worshipful. You know, you can quench that spirit by just not being thankful. Thankful just for everything. Christians that walk around with no thanks in their heart, you know, just anger and bitterness. Oh, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe that happened. You know, every time I turn around, this always happens. No, it doesn't always happen to you. You quench the spirit when you don't cast your cares upon you. You quench the spirit when you rather run with the flesh than with trusting God's strength. You, you quench the spirit when you're not trusting God to supply your every need. God says, I'm going to supply everything you need. Well, what, are you, what are you worried about? But I want this. I didn't say I was going to supply your greed. I said, I'm going to supply your need. And right now, this is all you need. Every day, he supplies what I need. I don't trust in God's love is another way of quenching the spirit. The spirit makes you more like Christ. That's what he does. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. You're being transformed. You're being transformed. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, Paul says to the people in Romans, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind be renewed and changed. You have to stop quenching the spirit and let the word of God just dwell in you richly and change your life. Not like the world says, but as the Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit, what he does, he grants inner. There's a lot of other 
points that I want to make, but you know what? Let me just conclude with it. The Holy Spirit, He grants inner strength that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You see, this is why Paul says to the people in Galatians, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh or the desires of the flesh. This is in your outlines. Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. Without the Spirit's strength, we can't do anything. We can't have victory over sin without the Spirit's strength. And we fall into sin every single time when we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you the power, gives you the strength, and all these things that I just mentioned. He sets us right. Romans 8, 5, Paul says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Again in your outlines, Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Unless you have the Spirit's power, you cannot become an effective witness. When you're witnessing to somebody, talking to them about Jesus Christ, you're talking about some spiritual stuff. Heavy duty, life and death, heaven, hell, uh, Satan and God. And Satan is opposing everything God wants to do. And you want to go up to them, talk to them about, you know, how you feel good. and You want them to know Jesus without even recognizing you have this spiritual power within you that wants to change the lives of everyone you come in contact with. We have to recognize that the Holy Spirit is there to lead us and to strengthen us and to be an effective witness. The Spirit, what He does is He fills you and allows, and He allows you to worship God from the heart. And there's times that as you're, as you're praying and you're worshiping God and you're praying, your heart just gets so overfilled and, and it's like this, you know, you start to tremble and cry because, I, you know, God, I, I just, I know. I know that I don't belong here, but I'm here. There's times that you may be singing a song and, and it just moves you to tears. And, and so there's, there's that feeling of the Holy Spirit as we worship and we give Him the glory and honor that is due to Him. See, so what we need to do is we need to recognize that not to quench that spirit, learn, you know, memorize, put it to practice. Everything that the Holy Spirit has taught you through His Word. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that wrote the Word of God. And why would He not want to lead you to God's Word? Why would He send you somewhere else? Why would he send you to, um, I don't know, somebody that says they have the word of God or somebody that supposedly heard from God when God's word is right here for you to read? You don't need an outside source. Until you can just go through every single page, every single paragraph, every single sentence, every single word and apply it to your life, there's more than enough here for us to be able to take in. We don't need an outside source. There is no outside source. This is all there is. We have to have a standard. Everybody has a voice. And sometimes these voices conflict with one another. And there's a lot of times they conflict with the Word of God. That's why the Holy Spirit will constantly direct you to His Word. Paul says, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. Number two, the Word of God is infinitely superior to all the words of man. Nothing can compare to God's Word. That's why Jesus Christ said, man does not live by bread alone, but by the divine Word of God. That's what we use. That's what we go to. The word prophecy is to proclaim publicly. Now, in the Old Testament, God would come upon a person 
and call him a prophet to proclaim publicly. And the Spirit would fill him. And as the Spirit would fill him, he would empower him for a specific time, at a specific place, for a specific purpose, to a specific person. And as the person would speak the Word of God, and he would write that down, then the Holy Spirit would leave him. And it wasn't until Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven that the Holy Spirit had descended into believers and resides in them now. And that, that we find in, in, the, in, in the book of John, where Jesus Christ is proclaiming to everyone, anyone who, who would follow me and drink from me, they would, uh, springs of living water will flow through him. And John gives this commentary, which what he was talking about was the Holy Spirit, which has not yet descended on everyone. And when Jesus Christ is proclaiming this and he's sharing this, that the, the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God would come and empower people and they would be prophets to prophetically speak God's word. Today, a prophet is known as a fortune teller. Let me prophesy over you. Let me tell you what God wants to do. I had a friend in one of our churches that used to come to our church and, and you know, this guy was just hardcore. He was, man, I love the guy. I mean, really, he just broke down and beautiful man, you know, once, once you got to know him. But man, the guy was hard. You can see it in his face. He had a hard life. The way he dressed, the way his tattoos were, the way, the way he stood, you know. And he says, you know, Pastor, oh, you wouldn't believe what just happened. I went to this church the other day and the guy told me everything about me. He said I was a gangbanger. He said I had been doing drugs. He said I was doing this. And he was right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could have told you that. <laughs> Some people can size you up and, and they do it for their own profit, not as a prophet. I call them non-profits. <laughs> and and and. The word prophet means to speak God's word. Now, let me take you to a verse here very quickly in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, and this is not anywhere. I'm just now thinking about this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 19. Because this comes up a lot. Well, what about the prophets today? What about the apostles today? You know, you're saying that there are no more prophets? Uh, well, I'm going to show you a verse. And, and you have to kind of decipher this and kind of look at this. And then you have to evaluate it according to what the Holy Spirit says in His Word. But in verse 19 of chapter 2, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 19, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now look at this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. What Paul says here, he says, you know what? You are now members of this household. He's, he's talking hypothetically. He's talking, you know, like an analogy. You are now part of this household. You are no longer out of this house. You're in this house. And in this house, there's a foundation. And the people that laid this foundation are the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. So it has been done. It is finished. It is completed and it is done. Prophecy now is God's spoken word. Let me show you here in just a bit that when you understand that all these prophets and apostles that are out there right now, they're proclaiming and naming and changing. When you follow that closely, you'll see that a lot of it does not have to do with what the apostles did. You know, as a matter of fact, there are a lot of people out there call themselves apostles that say, you know, all you have to do, you can be just like me. Just give your money to me and you can become rich and famous and you can become and, and receive everything that you can ever want. Just all you have to do is name it and claim it. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said you need to deny yourself. You know what the apostles did? They all denied themselves. You know what every prophet did? A prophet in the Old Testament was hated. 
They were hated because they gave the word of God. And when they gave the word of God, the people used to kill them. Isaiah was sawed in two in a very gross manner. They hung him upside down by his legs and they sawed him in two. That's how they used to do it. They would spear these guys. They would stone them. Jesus himself said, you know, well, did the prophets prophesy about you? You killed the prophets. Every one of them that God sent you, of course, you're going to kill me as well. That's exactly what they did to Jesus, the living word of God. And these prophets were not loved. They were not famous. Matter of fact, a lot of the stuff that were taken from them was because of their commitment to speak the word of God. The apostles the same way. They were hunted down. If you, if you want to do a study on the apostles, go back and find out how some of these were sawed in two, fed to the lions. Uh, John himself was boiled in oil, but he survived. Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, they were beheaded. So many things that these... Because, why? Because they were spokespeople for God. And when finally God had everything put together and he had everybody write exactly what he wanted to do, he says, okay, now put it in a book and here it is. This is God's divine revelation. We don't need another prophet telling you what to do. You don't need another apostle, another anybody else telling you what to do. Here it is. Show me. Chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. Show me. Because you see, if it, if it agrees with God's word, then I don't need you. And if it doesn't agree with God's word, I don't want you. <laughs> this is what we preach and teach. Now, there are people out there that will call you people of the dead letter. All that stuff is old. I mean, you need a new revelation. You need a new word of God. You need a fresh word from God. You need something different. Well, you know, if that really is the word of God, and if it's really like you say it is, a fresh new word of God, then maybe if God really spoke to you, we should write that down. You should write it down and then maybe add it to the end of the chapter, end of the Bible. You should add it to, oh, wait a minute. The Bible says if you add anything to this word or take away from this word, then the plagues will be added to you. I mean, how can you say that God told you something special? I'm sure they're hearing some voices and I'm sure they're seeing something, you know, but I'm willing to bet it is not the Holy Spirit's doing. When Paul says, do not despise prophecies, look at the way Paul describes it here. When he's talking about prophecies, he's talking about what it is that he wants people to do, uh, to look at. If you look at prophecy as a term, it's actually used to refer to God's written word. In 2 Peter, and this is in your outline, in 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture... See, prophecy has to do with God's now, God's written word. Prophecy was given to the prophets, and Jesus Christ was the ultimate last prophet, and the apostles were the ones that were proclaiming what Jesus Christ said. They were the sent out ones. And once it was all put together, now all we need is the Holy Spirit's leading into the prophecies that God has given us. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And today people will tell you, well, you know, God still speaks. Well, I know He does. He does it through His Word. No, He speaks audibly. I, don't, I had one guy, and I kid you not, God spoke to me the other day through a little birdie. I got to go now. <laughs> you know, that happens, by the way. It's called pantheism or panantheism as well. It's the worship of nature. It's the, what the Native Americans would do as they, they, they talk to the ocean, they talk to the wind, and the wind speaks back, and the animals speak, and it's this panantheism that is out there. 
And it, it's something that happens. And I, but this man was professing to be a, a, a disciple and a, an evangelist and sharing the gospel. And I told my grandkids, get away from him. <laughs> Let's go this way. <laughs> it, it, is, it is amazing when you just let anything come in. You see, and, and that's the thing. I it doesn't matter how good it could be. I mean, it is, wow, that is powerful stuff. Let me check what the Bible says. If it's not in the Bible, then I don't want it. Amen. Yeah. That's it. Bottom line. Revelation 1.3 says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Prophecy is meant to be read. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So Paul says, you know, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to test everything. You know, and this is something that continuously is coming up. Jesus Christ said, test everything. You know, you need a judge. And people say, well, doesn't the Bible say not to judge? Well, no, yeah, we are to judge. We are to test. We are to examine, evaluate. You can't just take everything for face value. How are you going to know what's a good fruit and a bad fruit? Unless you test it. How are you going to know if it's a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing unless you test them out? What, what are you saying? You sound like a wolf to me. No, I'm not. No, I'm a, I'm a sheep. You don't sound like a sheep to me, but okay, if that's what you want to say. Let me throw some rocks at you, see what happens. Test everything, Paul says. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I want to share with you. I want to share with you, which is not going to, again, it's not going to allow me some time today, on how to test the spirits. Because it's written. John himself wrote it. And he says, here's how you test the spirits. And he says, you know, he says, test every spirit. But before we do that, see, the word test is dokimazo. Dokimazo is the New Testament word, which is, you know, meant, it's used as a, um, as what people that work with metals work on. They test the metal to make sure that it's real gold, that it's real silver, that it's whatever it is that you're working with. And there's ways of testing this metal. And Paul says, that's what I want you to do. In Ephesians 5, 8 through 10, it says, walk as children of light. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How am I going to discern if I don't test, evaluate? Everything, Paul says, I want you to test everything that is out there. Because things need to be tested. The, the beloved, do not believe every spirit, John says, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are so many things out there, so many people that are, that are looking at, at what it is that, that they're trying to move forward in their own agenda. And people have their own agenda, their own idea. There's, there's a woman on, online that, that people, you know, I don't know what they do. They, they click on it and they open it up and they're waiting for her. She's praying and you can hear her making all kinds of mumble jumble noise. And then all of a sudden she picks up a pen and she starts writing. She starts writing, okay, this is what God gave me today to share with you. And it's, she's a very popular woman that, that this, a lot of women are following her. And they're, they're, she, this, she gets this revelation from God and she writes it down and she shares it with thousands of viewers. As if God's word isn't enough. Is God's word not enough? Oh, that's old. That's dead. We need something fresh, something new. Let me give it to you. When Jesus Christ was asked about the things that were going to happen, the things that were going to take place, how, when are all these things going to happen? And I'm just going to jump straight to, first of all, oh, well, chapter 24 of Matthew. Matthew 24. 
for time's sake, and then I'll come back later and I'll, I'll go over the rest of it. In Matthew 24, <clears throat> if you want to go there with me. I kind of jumped around and missed my place. That's okay, but I, that's why we got the Word of God, right? <laughs> In Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is prophesying. Jesus is telling them this is what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to take place. And it did happen. It happened in 70 A.D. where the, the, the temple was, was lined with gold. And in order for, for people to get gold out of it, they had to take every stone off to get the gold off that was inside the mortar. It was such an immaculate building. It was a huge, beautiful building with gold all around it and in it and through it. And, and yeah, when they destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., they, they were able to take all the gold. And Jesus said that's exactly what's going to happen. And then, and then they asked him in verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him and privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's the question that many of us want to know. I, I get contacts and calls every time that there's an earthquake. When uh, COVID hit, is this the end times? Because it talks about diseases and pestilences. It, you know, it talks about wars and rumors of wars. Is this the end time? You know, before we even get to wars and rumors of wars or earthquakes or diseases, pestilences, famines, before we even get to any of that, Jesus Christ said this. Here's the first thing that you got to watch out for. He says in verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. There are people in the church or supposed church. There are those that are false prophets, false apostles, false Christs that are leading many astray. And you can tell when we go through testing the spirits on what is the, what is the genuine uh, spirit of the Holy, work of the Holy Spirit look like. And I'm just going to give you a little bit in advance right now. And then what you see in a lot, of, a lot of denominations, a lot of churches, a lot of places that have focused their energies and their emphasis on the Holy Spirit and focusing everything on the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is grieved because that's not what He came here to do. Go to John 16 and we'll conclude with this. When Jesus starts talking, this from chapter 13 over to 17 or 18, to 17, excuse me, um, the, for these five chapters, Jesus is talking to them in the upper room right before he gets uh, arrested. And he's talking to them and sharing with them, I'm going to send you the counselor, I'm going to send you the comforter, I'm going to send you some help, I'm going to send you, and you know, here's what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world of sin, first of all. He's going to, that's what he's going to do. When he comes in verse 8 of 16, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. And then in verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. Now that should be a clue right there. Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is not going to speak on His own authority. He's not going to try to tell you what it is that you need to know. 
As a matter of fact, as we read a little while ago, one of the things that he does, and we'll see next week, he points you to the truth. First John, this is John, the Gospel of John, but First John in the epistles, First, Second, and Third John, and by the way, he also wrote the book of Revelation. And, and nowhere does he say that you focus on the Holy Spirit because Jesus himself said, no, he's not going to speak on his own authority. He's not going to bring attention to himself. But, but look at this even a little bit further. He says, uh, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And in many circles, it is the Holy Spirit that is glorified. It is the Holy Spirit that is focused on. It's a feeling that they want to get. They want to get filled. It's not a, it's not a feeling it's a filling, but they want this filling to, so they can feel it. And the only way they can feel it is if they fall backwards or knocked unconscious, whatever the case may be. And they, they are in, in it for this, this pleasure, this, these things that are supposedly given to them because of the, the world is giving them these riches and whatever. You know, beloved, it, and it, it is tragic. But you know, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people following this deception that I would call it, because that's not, his, his job is to glorify Jesus Christ, not himself. He's to empower you. He's to train you. He's to teach you. He's to strengthen you. He's to sanctify you. He's to save you. His, his responsibility, his role in your life is to make you more like Jesus Christ. But his ultimate goal with Jesus Christ is, he's going to bring glory to me, he says, to himself. The reason he brings glory to Jesus Christ is because Jesus is the one who finished the work on the cross. Let me, let me just throw this out there. With all this attention on the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit can do for you and make you feel and have you go through all this stuff, why would the Holy Spirit do that? If his job is to point you to Jesus Christ, why isn't that church or that leader pointing you to Jesus because he's the one that can save you. He's the one that is able to remove that guilt, that shame, that sin. The Holy Spirit can't do that. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that paid it all. Jesus will lead you to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead you back to Jesus, not to himself. And when we look at the extraordinary effort that this deception is doing, it takes the glory off of Jesus. Jesus is just given lip service and he's not even talked about, if at all. Jesus died on the cross, but the Holy Spirit's going to fill you. He's going to, and, and come get your blessing. You know, name it and claim it. As long as you can hop on one leg, we can do it. And, and I, I, you know, I know, I, I make fun of it. But to be honest with you, I know what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is. It's Jesus that died on that cross. Well, not this one, but he died on the cross. It's Jesus who gave his life. It's Jesus who finished the work. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's, there is no other name. There is no other name. And it's him that made us alive. And so when we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he's three people. He's not one person like me. I'm father. I'm, I'm child to my mom, and I'm also, uh, you know, my hus uh, husband to my wife. You know, that's how some people try to explain it. The Holy Spirit is one person individually. Jesus Christ is one person individually. God the Father is one person, but they're all one. 
That you cannot explain, but they're all one. And it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to point us to Jesus Christ. Now, in some of these circles, as we'll see next week, we'll talk about on how to test this, the Spirit. And to take away what the Holy Spirit is teaching us to do, and we need to get rid of all this form of evil. We have to get rid of all these things that, that seem to be, uh, that, that seem right. Jesus himself said, don't, don't, let, don't, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled because there are going to be a lot of false prophets that are going to be coming. Hold fast to what is good. And we're going to find out what the Holy Spirit's responsibility does and how it is that we can test the spirits. And we're going to find out how to abstain from every form of evil. That's what the Holy Spirit is here to do for us. And we're going to grow together. And that's how it is that we test the spirit. And uh, we, we have to really just dive into that a little bit more. And I want to give you a little bit more time. with that. Let me ask you to stand. The Holy Spirit's responsibility is to lead you to Jesus Christ because He's the one that paid for it. When Jesus Christ opens your eyes, wakes you up, when you were dead in your trespasses, you were dead, and God woke you up, and then it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you can be saved. It is by grace that you're saved, not by works, not by anything else. And the Holy Spirit will not draw attention to Himself, but He'll draw the attention to His Word and to Jesus Christ, who is the Word. When you start to look at the Word as a living, breathing person, which is Jesus Christ, you start to have a deeper, profound appreciation for the Word of God. And you want to know it more. And the more you read it, the more you start to know it. The more you read it, the more you realize, wow, all this time I thought there's more. And you read it again, man, man, there's still more. And you read it again, man, I can't believe how, you know, somebody once put it, it's, it is so deep that a theologian couldn't even get to the bottom of it, but yet shallow enough for a child to come up and drink from its edges. That's the Word of God. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And I pray, God, that Your profound message can give change in people's lives through, this, uh, through, through Your Word, the message of the Gospel that was proclaimed and preached for each one of us. Lord, we need to know You more. And you've given us the way to know you more through your word. And we will not deviate from your word. And we will continue to look at your word and study your word and memorize your word. Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the Father. And so, Father, we thank you for just how you, you present that to us. And how we, we look at what Paul says, not to, not to quench the spirit, not to de- despise prophecies and detest everything. And when we look at it in the context of what it means and what Paul is trying to say, we, co- we come away from it with a different understanding and different knowledge of it. And so we don't want to despise prophecies. Your word. We don't want to despise that. We don't want to quench the spirit, but I know we do. And I pray that you forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, and each one here that is ready to recognize the quenching of the Spirit in their life. And that you give us the the empowerment, the power that only comes from you. So Father, we just thank you for this time and this opportunity you give us. Dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. All right, stick around, folks, for some coffee. Um, Got a little surprise for you next door. Actually, not me, but my wife. She made donuts. 
homemade donuts. 